This has been um, a week in America where we were once again reminded of the price of violence and how quickly we can go in our community from a sense of security and, and peacefulness to fear and pain and loss. The irony of this particular week of that tragedy in Boston being the week that we, Caleb Israel, joined together with LMU and UCLA to sponsor this week of civil discourse is poignant and, and powerful. And it makes this evening all the more precious and special because it is an evening in which together we are able to share the dreams of the way the world can be and the way the world should be and the role that each of us can play in making that world come into being. Four years ago, Didi and I had the privilege of hearing Dr. Abuelish speak about not only the personal tragedy of his life, but more powerfully about the transformative power that an individual has to see through pain and sorrow and grief into the hearts of humanity and the commonness of us all. And after that evening, I spoke to him and I promised him, one of these days, as soon as I can, I'm going to bring you to my synagogue. So it's four years later, but here he is. And in that time, his remarkable, internationally best-selling book, I Shall Not Hate, has been published. He has uh, started the Daughters for Life Foundation and is continuing in his own personal quest, which he's about to share with all of us, for bringing peace and reconciliation into the world, one person at a time, and certainly with his foundation, one girl, one woman at a time. He has been nominated three years in a row for a Nobel Peace Prize. He has received, he was the first recipient ever of the Mahatma Gandhi Peace Prize. He is a voice that speaks from the heart and the soul. And he is a remarkable, loving, sweet human being whose life has been dedicated to healing as a doctor. And he brings that passion and compassion for human life still into his medical work and his teaching in Toronto and into this work where he is traveling all over the world doing this. We were grateful that he turned down an invitation to be in Japan right now speaking, to be in Pacific Palisades instead. 
and you are all in for a very special evening. It is my great privilege and my great pleasure to introduce to all of you Dr. Zeldin Abuelish. Remarkable. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Amy. Thanks to Steve Gormer, to all the people who came and to support this meeting in a time we are in need to come together, to listen, to talk, and to look around about what is happening in our local small world and the international world. As Steve mentioned this week, what happened in Boston and other parts of the world, I see it. We are passionate about it. And we are trying to help and to feel with the people who suffered. How much do we want to give them and personally, it's not going to help the people who lost their beloved ones. The wounded. Because in times of war and conflict, we think of war as the soldier who is going to kill or to be killed. The casualties, the wounded. But we did, what we didn't see in war is tens, hundreds of times of what did we see? We saw just the wound, but what are the consequences of this wound on the wounded person? What is happening in Boston? With the people there, the wounds will stay and the scars are there. The trauma is there. So I think it's a moment for all of us because we are in this holy place. All of us to relieve ourselves from what do we call the other? Because who is the other? The other is us. We. And it's time to dress one robe, the robe of a humanity and feeling connected with others. Because this world, you see it. It's a crazy world. And we need at the same time where life it challenges us to learn how can we challenge life it challenges. It's not the natural disasters, it's the man-made disasters. Because the suffering in this world, it's man-made. It's not from God. We need to have that faith in God where God gives us every good thing and wants the good for the people in this world. But the people themselves are spreading the evil acts. 
And also we need to learn to challenge ourselves. How can we face the challenges we are facing? As I said, the suffering in this world is man-made. And personally, I looked at it. My suffering. When I was born as a Palestinian refugee to suffer the misery of life, I said, it's man-made suffering. It's induced. What can I do to make a difference of not accepting it? This is the hope of it. It's man-made. I can't challenge God. Even God is not there to challenge. God is there to help us and to support us. But people who are challenging each other, what makes the evil to flourish in this world is good people to do nothing, to see it thinking it's far from them. But the hope in this world that the suffering in this world, it's man-made. And what can we do to challenge it of not accepting it and to act, to do something? Life is full of surprises. And my life was a real war. Fighting on daily basis just to survive, to live the moment. But we have to find the way of not accepting it and the biggest weapon to face it. It's not the gun. It's not the violence or the people as we see them to be violent or silent. We don't want to be violent or silent. We need to act in a positive way. Because violence or silence, both of them are destructive. And the most difficult time in my life, it was just in four months period. And number 16, I will never forget it. It's printed in my mind. 16th of September 2008 is the day when I lost my wife of acute leukemia. And I thought it's the end of the world. Because as a child, when I was a child, if someone to ask me, with whom would you like to live? I will say with my mother. And my faith and the human values proves, prove that the orphan is not the one who loses the father. The orphan is the one who loses the mother. The big heart, the incubator, the one who brings all together. It's not easy. I try these days to be, to take the role of the father and the mother, but as much as I can, but I will never compensate my daughters. The kindness, the love, the mother they can give them, and the taste of that love, it's different. I was the first Palestinian doctor to practice medicine in an Israeli hospital. 
I started it during what do we call the first intifada. When I used to cross the borders as a formal physician working in the Israeli hospitals to prove that we can live together and that we are similar. Because medicine, when we speak about medicine, what is medicine? It's about healing, about curing, about equality, about justice, about respect, about privacy, about freedom of diseases, of need, of suffering. That's medicine, that's health. When we treat a patient, here and now we are in this holy place. Muslims, Jewish, Christians, all of them are similar and equal. And in the hospital, all are equal. The difference between them is their diagnosis. And the treatment is designed according to their suffering and their diagnosis, not according to their ethnicity, background, name, religion. What do they have? Medicine is the human stabilizer in this world. It's the human equalizer. Doctors are messengers of humanity, of helping others. They are blessed as we are to deal with the most holy thing in the universe. It's a human being. Saving one, you save the world. Killing one, you kill the world. The happiest moment in my life when I worked there for more than 10 years, when I handled the baby to his mother, the cry of this newborn baby is a cry of hope. A new life is coming. And all of the time I was thinking, what a future is waiting for this newborn baby? What life is waiting for them? It's our responsibility. I continued my work after I lost my wife because of my children who supported me. In particular, my daughter, Bisan, who was the eldest, who was 20 years old, she said to me, count on God and continue your support and work. I went there. But in this crazy world we are living in, no one knows what will happen tomorrow. And that's life. And because we don't know what will happen tomorrow, from my little experience, can say to you, I used to travel a lot to work, to study, to support. Not knowing what will happen tomorrow. If I knew the future, at least I will minimize my travel and to spend as much as I can of my time with my daughters and my wife. So one of the things I say to you, don't say tomorrow. If you want to do something, do it today. Spend as much as you can of your time with the people you love. Eat with them. Talk to them, kiss them, hug them. You don't know these moments in this crazy world, if they will come back or not. 
I continued then 16th of January 2009 is the day when my daughters, Bisan, Mayar, Aya, and my niece Noor were killed when their room was bombed by two Israeli tank shells. For nothing they did, they were girls. Armed, equipped with love, with education, with the plans. Be sad that I can write books about her, from whom I learned. And we need one of the things to take with us, to listen to our children, to learn from them. They are wise enough to teach us, Bisan, whom I missed and I learned a lot, was the first Palestinian girl to send to peace camps at the age of 14. When I sent her, I got a call that there is a camp for girls. I said, it's for girls. I know they can make it. I sent her to that camp. When she came back, to say to me, I learned how similar are we? Muslims, Jewish, Christians, Druze, Bedouins, they were together in that camp. Our children, they found out how similar are we. But we, as parents, we deepen the divide that we are not similar. At that age of 14, she came to say, and it's documented in a documentary now, that to meet violence with violence doesn't solve any problem. At that age, she said, everything starts small, then becomes big. Everything starts in one place and goes in different directions. That's Bisan. From whom? That I miss. After she lost her mother, she was in her BA the final year. Studying day and night, and she took the role of her mother. As most of our children, they have the nightmare when they have academic exams. She came to say to me, now I learned something. That academic exams are the easiest in life. The most difficult exams are life exams. When we are tested with the loss of the beloved ones, and we in this world, every day we are tested with what is happening in this world. I don't want anyone on earth to see what did I see at that time when I saw my daughters. These beautiful girls, they became parts. Spreading in their room, drowning in their blood. As a father, I wanted to see them for the last moment. Where is Bisan? Where is Mayar? Where is Aya? Where is Noor? I can't recognize them. But it's important. Faith. Faith is very helpful. When everything is gone in this world and the help of a human being is not there, there is one 
who is awake. There is one who is alive and will never keep us to collapse. God is there. At that moment, I directed my face only just to God. During that moment of seeing my daughters becoming parts, I was asking just God, because I fully believe if all the world wants to help you and God doesn't want, it will never happen. And if all the world wants to do harm to you and God doesn't, it will never happen. During that time, I directed my face to God to say, to ask for help from God. And it was God's plan who sees things. He knows and we don't know. And everything is for a good cause. We may say it, we may see it as bad, but God knows later on we realize it's for good. I started to ask myself why I was saved. It happened seconds after I left my daughter's room. Few seconds, five seconds, I left it, the first bomb came. If I stayed with them, I would be gone. And to be added to the numbers of people who are killed. And to say 100, 200, 1,000, 1,400. To speak about a human beings as statistics, as figures. I will never accept it. Because as I said, saving one's life, you save the world. Killing one, you kill the world behind. Every human being, there is a story. Every human being has a name, has a face, has parents, has family, has a future, has plans. It's time to zoom in and to look at a human as a human. I said this tragedy is for good and will be invested for good. And... When I started at this moment to think, what can I do? To see my daughters who were killed, my daughter Shada who was severely wounded, my brother, my niece, and as a scene to see, to think of the future of my children. And to see my son, Muhammad, who was standing in front of me, he is 12 years old, what the future is waiting for him. Is he going? What do we call to be crazy, violent, terrorist, injected with hatred? He looked at me and to say to me, why are you screaming? Why are you crying? You must be happy. I said, my son, he doesn't know what is going on. He wants me to be happy. He said, no, I know my sisters are killed, but you must be happy because I know that my sisters are happy there. They are with their mom. 
she asked for them. That's the 12 years old Palestinian child. I said, I don't need to worry about him. If he said that, I have to carry the wound, the pain, to move forward. As Einstein said, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep balanced, we must keep moving. I kept moving faster, stronger, more determined not to give up or forget my daughters. And in my life now, I am running my life because I am accountable only to God and to my daughters, whom I see them talking to me, what did you do for us? I say to them from here, I am sending you prayers and the blessings and doing everything you wanted in life. And to keep you alive in the hearts, minds, and souls of people. And I swore to God and to my daughters, when I am doing it, it's a responsibility that I have to continue with it. I will never rest. I will never relax or give up. Because I fully believe one day I will meet them. I say to them, I missed you. I would like one day to meet you with the big gift. It's the justice for them and the freedom for others. And to tell them, you're holy and noble souls were not waste. It made a difference in others' lives. But what is important, which means to be used? Is it the bullet we used to be killed? Is it the violence? Is it the silence? I will never use that. I have to speak out. It's my wisdom and you have all of that. It's our good, kind, and strong words. Because words are stronger than bullets. The bullet kills once, but the word can stay there for life. And the good deeds to send them, these means that's the way to move forward. And in our life, that we made, life is what we make it. Always has been, always will be. It's in our hands. We can shape our life the way we want. Not to blame others. When I wrote my book, I shall not hate because the people were expecting me to hate. I say to them, we are blessed to be human beings. And what is the meaning of be being a human being? 
is to have choices, to think of our choices. Is it the right way to hate? And is it the right mean that will bring my daughter's justice with hatred? It's not. Hatred will impact the one who carries it. Hatred is the fire which burns the one who carries it. It's not going to impact the one you plan to hate. The one you plan to hate is away from you. Even he doesn't think of you. So instead of wasting yourself, self-destructive means, what can you do to challenge? What do we call the perpetrator? To move forward and to succeed. Hatred, as Rabbi Sachs said, it's the biggest weapon of mass destruction. It destroys the one who carries it. Instead of that, don't allow hatred to invade you. Any one of us, when we face or exposed to any harm, we are victims of that harm. So if we started to inject ourselves with this destructive hatred, as someone who is victim of a disease, we are a victim of hatred, which is a destructive disease. It's a cancer. Hatred is a cancer that eats the one who carries it. Don't accept a life to be a victim more than once. It's enough the first time. And what did you learn from the first time? Not to be a victim anymore. And not to see any victims. Not to accept others to be victims in this world. The antidote of hatred and revenge is success. To succeed. To survive. And that's what I learned from my daughter Shada. My daughter Shada was 17 at that time. She was studying day and night to be one of the top 10 in Palestine in the high school. She was studying during the war on candles. Then she was severely wounded. And what Shada suffered in one year, mountains can't tolerate what did she suffer. The start of the school year, she lost her mother. Then four months later, she lost three sisters and niece, and she was severely wounded. She spent four months in the hospital where I am working, in Tel Aviv. April, she was discharged. She lost the sight in one eye. Two malformed fingers in her right hand. But even three days after the wounding, and while she is in the hospital, she said to me, if I can't see by my right eye, I have my left. If I can't write with my right hand from tomorrow to bring me pencils, papers, 
to practice with my left hand. She went back in April and she has to do the high school exam in June. And the high school exam, it's a unified, standardized exam for the whole of Palestine. From the whole curriculum, and they don't care what did you pass through. She did the exam. I didn't expect much from Shada. And the day we left to Canada, they announced the result. And that's what I am proud of my daughters and every daughter and every girl who are the hope of this world. She succeeded and surprised all of us, Palestinians and Israelis, when she succeeded 96% as nothing happened to her. What Shada is doing now? She's studying electrical and computer engineering at the University of Toronto. That's the success, that's the challenge to move forward. Because she said to me, I have to go to study and to achieve the plans of my sisters. And she made it. Not to be drowning, sinking in our hatred. We need to be angry. We need to be angry about what is happening in this world. We need to be angry about what happened in Boston and other parts of this world. What can we do? It's good that we are meeting and to talk. But talks is not like actions. We need to act. Patients, they don't need words only. They need prescriptions. They need medications to be cured and to be healed. We need to be angry in a way to be energized of not accepting what is happening in this world and to feel it. It's our world. What's our part? Not to waste our energy in blaming others. Blaming is the easiest way to escape responsibility. Even the patient, the victim, are responsible. That's the way action. Action resonates more than words. And not to underestimate the size of our actions. Whatever our action is, it can make a difference of others' lives. As my daughter Bisan said, everything starts small, then becomes big. From this meeting here, it may spread not to LA to other parts, because people are moving and they can spread this message in this world. It can reach any part. Everything starts small, then becomes big. Everything starts in one place and goes in different directions of this small world. And the story of the young girl who believed in action, when one day she was sitting on the shore when a heavy tide threw hundreds of starfish, what did she do as a girl who always think of helping 
sacrificing and giving. She started to think of saving lives. She started to throw them one by one into water. A man came and looked at the girl and surprised. What are you doing? She said, I am saving lives. He said, but there are hundreds. It's not going to make any difference. But she reacted with wisdom, with confidence, and to teach him with evidence-based practice when she threw another starfish into water and said it made a difference to that one. It's one. Everything starts by one. Let us try. That's what is needed from all of us to come together, to work, to act. It's our world. If we didn't do it, who is going to do it? And to realize one thing, that the most holy thing is a human being and the freedom. Freedom is needed. I understand the need of what are we talking about democracy, but the freedom is more vital, more needed than democracy. Freedom of need, of poverty, of fear, of disease, of unemployment, of being homeless. Freedom of a few free future for our children. That's what is needed, the freedom. And no one in this world is free as long as others are not. My freedom is from yours. It's time to stand for the freedom of all. Because this world is ours. And for those who think they are far from the risk and that they are free from the endemic diseases that are spreading in this world, which are hatred, violence, fear, and diseases. These are endemic diseases which cross barriers. To remind you of the saying of Martin Nimmler, the German Protestant theologist, at the times of the Nazis, he said, they came first. They came first for the communists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the Catholic, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Catholic. Then they came for me. Sadly, by that time, no one was left to speak out to. Are we going to speak to ourselves? How many people should be killed, should suffer, till we start to speak out? That's the courage. When we speak out in time, what is the value of treating the patient when the patient is dead? We need to treat the patient when the patient is in need for a treatment. When we see a bleeding, we must rush to stop that bleeding, not to watch it. That's the way if we want to make a difference in this world. I lost my daughters, but with what am I doing? 
and in memory of my daughters, whom I fully believe that they are alive. Even to read to you one of the emails I receive from people every day from someone who wrote me, a Canadian woman, to say to me, Zeldin, my first child was born on August the 26th of this year. I would like you to know that I named her after your daughter, Bisan. Meeting you and hearing your message has stayed with me. It's important to the future that generations after us continue to work on peace and in rejecting conflict. Move forward with the humility and courage to do so. This is what I hope to instill in my daughter Bisan over the years to come. Thank you for being part of our life. I thank her for keeping my daughter alive and carrying that name. So I can say this world can endure and can be a better one, or at least to improve and to have the world we want. Because I fully believe even in my life, I am in debt to my mother, my wife, and my daughters. And I fully believe the strongest members in any society are women. And it's time, men and women, to come together to work. Because we are in this world to complement each other. And I am optimistic about that when we all come together as women and men, as elders and the children, for the collective good for all people and the advancement of our communities and societies, not only will we benefit, but the whole world will benefit. Women are the balance of our world. Women are the reason the world has made it this far. And women are the only hope of this world has to rise up and reach the greatness all humans are capable of achieving, not just imagining. That's why, to keep my daughters alive, and as I said, to prove that this tragedy is for good. Daughters for Life was established for education of girls and women, because education of girls and women is the key engine for the change in this world. To give the women the right role in shaping our life, in decision-making, with the support of men. Let us try it. A healthy, educated girl and woman will raise a healthy, educated children, husband, family, community, and nation. We need to have the courage to try and to give them that right role according to their potential. They say the 19th century was European one. The 20th 
was an American one. Why not? The 21st century to be neither European nor American, but the century of women's role and development and the humanity. In that way, the world will be the one that we all want for all. I want to finish with a poem which was written by whom? By an Israeli Jewish woman who knew my daughter Bisan, Dalal and Shada. In their memory, in memory of Bisan, for each of us to ask for the love and happiness we all lost where love resides in memory of Bisan, I long to touch you, Bisan, one more time to hug you, to tell you how sorry I am that your mom died. But now you too are gone. Your smiling face, your gentle way, your softness, your non-judgmental words, your pain for your people, your way of life, your dreams, aspirations, and your hope for peace. Just days before you died, just days before the war, I spoke with your dad. He gave me your phone number. It's still in my car. Every day I glance at the number, seeing your name, Bisan. I wish I had spoken with you more, but I didn't have the guts. I spoke with you three days before you died. I told you that I am praying for your safety. My prayers were not heard through the shilling, the bombing, the kassams, the smoke. I feel I have been betrayed by God, by my country, by the cruelty of the humanity, by the warmongers, by those who think violence is the solution. And with all of this, I have been given a gift to have spent six weeks with Shada Azuddin and Gaida, I heard no words of revenge, nor hatred. I heard no anger. I heard the deep belief that peace is possible, even with this enormous loss. I have been strengthened from their strength. I am more determined from their determination. I am more at peace from their peacefulness. Be sad. Forgive me for not being able to save you from my own people. Forgive me for giving you hope that peace is possible and then taking that dream from you. You will always be my symbol of hope, peace and mostly gentleness. Your dad shared the dream with me and it was a real dream. Days after you died, he came into a room full of men, and there you were, sitting among them. He asked you, why are you sitting here, Bisan? You know it is not acceptable in our society. You answered, all is fine now, Dad. I am happy and well. I can be here. Now, among the men, where I am needed, May no other woman need to die in order to be able to influence the men as you have, be sad, 
May we women be heard and heeded. And may the men in this world get the chance to know from deep within their hearts that this is where the answer lies in their hearts where love resides. Thank you. God bless you. Thank 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 you. Zodan has given four talks in 24 hours and still has this much passion and energy and commitment to sharing with us his understanding that the only way forward in the face of whatever it is we suffer as human beings is to ask, as he said so eloquently at lunch, to ask more about each other, to learn more about each other. That's why we're here. That's why we brought him. We hope that's why you came. We're going to open it up for questions now. Um, we don't have file cards, so we're just going to have people ask questions. In the spirit of this man who has been so courageous and so loving and so open and is all about learning from whoever is willing to share, I'm going to ask that we ask him questions from a place of love and respect and gentleness, that we don't make statements. We ask him so that we can learn from his immense wisdom and his full, gentle, uh, strong, giving heart. Do we have a microphone? M Matt has the microphone. So if you'd like to ask a question of Dr. Abwailish, Julia has one as well. Um, I see Zach, you have your hand up. Um, thank you, Doctor, for, uh, for being here. Your message is profound. Um, I'm wondering if you've had the opportunity to talk with uh, Israeli and Palestinian children or other children, and I'm wondering um, what is their response and what kind of questions they have to ask of you. Of course, I speak with Palestinians, with Israelis, and the message, it's not only for Palestinians and Israelis. It's a universal message for this world even for Palestinians and Israelis, Arabs and Israelis. The book now, which satisfies me, is in about 23 languages. One of them is Hebrew and Arabic. So it's spreading everywhere, even it's a play at the National Habima Theater in Israel. So the message is spreading. And what I said here, I said it in Palestine, in Tel Aviv, in any place. We need to be courageous and to believe in what do we say. To have one color for that message. Not to be multicolored, to change according to the place. And I am sure, when you speak about it, I will say to you, I received another email. I didn't read it. I will read it to you. I have a friend of mine, my neighbor, she is a professor with me at the U of T. She said to me, Zeldin, I have 
continued talking about the Middle East to one of the professors who is a Canadian Jew at the School of Medicine. He who can speak so hatefully and my patients seem to have been rewarded. Recently, he asked, did I know any Palestinian? One could admire. I mentioned you as one of the people I know. What he responded, Kuri, now that I have found out who this person is, I can tell you, I would be prepared to get down on my hands and knees and wash his feet. I fully agree on his Gandhi-like status, much greater even than the Mahatma, who never suffered the family tragedy that beset Abu Aish. As Amy mentioned, we need to learn and to look around and to ask, to know each other. And that's the way forward. What I learned from my work, that we don't know each other, even we are stereotyped or misinformed about each other. And it's time for each of us to start by him or herself to overcome these psychological barriers we created inside each of us. of cultures that we're all too aware of around the world where young girls are imprisoned, tortured, disfigured for wanting to get educated. How do you touch the minds and the hearts of the men that are making those decisions that are treating uh, young girls and women in that fashion? Of course, a change takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And even a change we have to understand, it's faced with the resistance. How to challenge this resistance, and personally, I believe a change, it needs to be done smoothly, intelligently, and incrementally. And we need the role of the men to be educated, to start with that, to educate the men to be, to educate the girls. What is the value of educating the girls and the men are not educated? We need the education of both because both complements each other. And that's what is needed. We can start. You see it, even girls. They started to speak out. You see what happened with Malala, the girl who suffered to pay her life. And many others, believe me, I see it. Many other girls will speak out. But we need someone to be courageous to say, I will do it. I will speak out. But also at the same time, we who are watching them, what can we do to help them? We are not disconnected from Malala, my daughter Rafa, who is 13 years old. When you speak about the culture, she is studying at one of the best schools in Canada. After what happened, she wrote something. And the social counselor is calling me. I read what Rafa read, wrote. Rafa wrote that Malala is one of our relatives. So she asked me, is she your relative? I said, no, we are taking things in a superficial way. I asked Rafa, my darling, why did you write that? 
She said, I thought of her as I thought of my daughters, my sisters. I felt this girl who is fighting for education as my sisters who were fighting for education. That's the cultural barrier where they think of relative is blood kinship. So we need here to understand and to take our role, these people with their sufferings, what can we do to help them and to speak out about them? Not to feel disconnected, we don't care about them. Do you know if there are um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, Palestinian youth who are trying to reach across and work with Israeli, Jewish, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender youth who are a, a certainly persecuted group that also needs our support? I fully believe each of us in this world is free to do whatever he wants. And we are not here to judge people. I am not judging you for what are you eating, how do you sleep, what, whom are you communicating. I judge you how you deal with me, if you respect me or not. That's the way. This is something personal, a private. And I have to respect, as you are dealing with me, as a good person, I don't care about who are you as lesbian, a gay, Muslim, Jewish, a Christian, I don't care about it. But when you speak about it in our culture, I am sure, because no culture is perfect. And in this world, personally, perfectness is impossible. Maybe under the table there are but it's not coming to the surface to speak about it. One day, I am sure, if you come here to the States, the lesbian and the gays' rights, how long it took to reach to, as it is today. It took years. If we go back 40 years, how was it? It's a sin. That's what they thought of it. But now it's a right and they are accepted as one of us. And personally, I have good friends with a lesbian or gays outside. So we need that time. It's a process. The process takes time. We don't want to start in Palestine or any other country from where did you finish. And that's all of the time. We think we want democracy in these countries from where did you finish with. But also give me the time from where did you start and the process, the means to reach, where are you now? Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, you mentioned about your daughter going to a camp where there were people from all different backgrounds. And uh, what I'm wondering about, are there uh, ways to bring open-minded Israeli Jews and open-minded Palestinians together more? What, what, what ways are there to bring them together so that they can understand each other better? I am sure that's the mean. We need to bring them together. So we need to smash the barriers. 
among them to enable them for Palestinians and Israelis. You know, it's shame and painful that Palestinians, how close are they geographically there, but they can't meet. For a Palestinian from Gaza or for a Palestinian from the West Bank to meet someone from Tel Aviv who is a few kilometers from them, they can't meet there, but they can meet in L.A. <laughs> they can meet in L.A., that's the way. They can't meet there, and if we want to bring them, to bring them to meet outside. And many of the activities we are trying to bring them together, to take them to Turkey, to Cyprus, to the States, to other places. Why? We need to smash these barriers, these walls, and to let them meet there. But it's the politicians who don't allow that. Yes. A couple more questions and then uh, have a final presentation. Thank you, Doctor. It was a very uh, passionate appeal. Um, the voices of moderates around the world who try and affect change oftentimes are chased away, killed. Um, examples, the, the woman from Somalia who moved to Holland, Ayan Hersi Ali, spoke outwardly about women and the role of women and literally was chased out of Holland, Theo Van Gogh killed. Yitzhak Rabin was a voice of moderation for Jews. He was assassinated. My question for you is, and there's lots of other examples, what kinds of suggestions can you give for many of us who want to take actions to affect change that aren't so global but that are granular things that we can just start doing that will make change of course as you said the evil is there and the people who are not accepting what do we want but what is their size mostly the extremists are the minority but what are they doing their voice is noisy their actions are noisy and what made them noisy is the good majority are watching it We can work together, all of us, the good majority who is keeping silent. Rabin was killed. He paid his price. Sadat was killed. But he believed we need religion, we need courageous leaders. And that's the real leader who is risk taker and even ready to sacrifice his life for a good cause, a human cause. And that's the real leader. Don't think of those leaders who are trying to please and to keep in power. But also, they need the support of the majority who are keeping silent. And what can they do to contain the extreme fanatic minority to keep them in the corner? But what made them to spread out that we here are divided and they can penetrate us? So this is important and we need all of us to come together as I said, to speak out, not to feel disconnected, to act as one. This is the way, because these people who are extremists, because you can't get rid of a craziness in this world. You can't have a healthy world without diseases. There should be some diseases in this world. How can we manage these diseases 
and contain them not to kill the patient. And we can to prevent, to immunize the people, to talk to them, to take care of their health, to change the environment in which they live, the context in which they live. It's the responsibility of all not to say to them they are extreme. I will never accept it. It is my honor and privilege uh, on behalf of everyone gathered here, and I trust the many who will benefit from us having heard uh, the incredible, uh, loving, and courageous message of um, Izeldin, that I'd like to tell you that we have established the first annual Kailat Israel Pursuer of Peace Award, and it is given to Dr. Izeldin Abu Alish. We are so honored and grateful to have you here and we are very proud and pleased that you were the first recipient of the brand new Gaylat Israel Pursuer of Peace Award. Let us take a moment to sit with the profound weight of responsibility with which we have been charged, all of us, out of our own suffering and pain, loneliness and brokenness, with the responsibility of an example, a teacher for us, about being called in to hope. Spirit of the universe, we ask that we live into the model that we have witnessed so many of us this week, that we may live in to our own call to contribute each of us out of our unique gifts and our unique challenges, to contribute to a world that is closer to shlemut, to wholeness, which is the foundation of our word shalom. May we contribute in the weeks ahead, may we teach and model for our children that we can ask about the other so that we may learn, so that we may grow and deepen in our commitment to respecting and honoring the unique reflection of God that is every human being. And let us say together, Amen. <laughs>